Well, she was young and in love. Bindi, she grew up in the northeast part of India. She grew up actually in a Hindu family and knew really nothing about Jesus Christ. Her religious experience was mostly in the animist direction. And then she met Kandi. And Kandi was one of the few Christ followers in that region of the world. And as soon as they met, some magic started to happen, as it often does. And this magic started happening with Condi then talking about how Jesus Christ changed his life. Well, as they started to grow together, she wanted to follow this Jesus. And so he just started training her up, and things were going along, and this was all about five, six years ago. Then all of a sudden, on June 7th, one year ago, 2020, early evening, a phone call came to their house. And it changed everything. Got a question for you. Why is it that some people endure? Or let's change it a little bit. How is it that some people, like Bindi, persevere, endure? through all kinds of things. Now before I finish the story, I want you to hang on to that question and I'll tell you what happened next. Of course, we're in the story of Revelation, the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible or a device, I want to encourage you to dial in. It's so important that we, we have the Word of God, that we listen to the Word of God and we let God's Word speak into our hearts. Now, we've been pushing through, just starting in chapter 12, we went through 13, we started in chapter 14, and now we're in chapter 14, verse 6. Let me just read a few verses uh, to verse 13. Please follow along. This is what John wrote. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of the name. Here is a call for patient endurance and of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, 
for their deeds will follow them. Well, we've been in this series, and we're getting to a place where the tables are now turned. We've been reading a lot about the challenges, and just to bring us all back to where we've been trying to go with this is I wanted Fox Valley Church, I wanted all of us to recognize what is happening in our world, not only in our country, but around the world. What is stirring up the strife? Why is there so much animosity? Why is there so much conflict? Why are nations moving against nations? Why even in the church are there challenges of people being together in unity? And so what I wanted us to do was understand there's a story behind the story. And that is that there is a devil and that he's at work and he's orchestrating a lot of different things. And so what we want to do is recognize that with all these things, that God is still sovereign over all of it. Now when we look at the story behind the story, remember... I told you that there's not a demon behind every bush, but rather what happens is these spiritual forces are using people, they're using governments, they're using governmental leaders, they're using education, they're using teachers, they're using people in all walks of life to bring about this world that stands in opposition to God. And we feel it, we experience it, and it helps to know the story behind the story. But let's be clear, uh, so that there's no confusion, is that we, in Christianity, recognize that there's three enemies. Certainly the devil is one of our enemies. He is a mastermind, he's bright, he's wise, and he is orchestrating all the things that we've been talking about. But we must remember that there's also what the Bible calls just the world in general. That's just a description of what's happening in life around us that stands opposed to God. And then there's our own sin in our own lives. And this has been the standard way to view Christian enemies for 2,000 years, is that we have the enemy, the devil, we have the world that stands opposed to our Christian beliefs and the Christian things that we want to hold on to, and then we have our own sin as we navigate the complexities of life. So this morning, what I want to do is just bring us into this part of the story a little deeper. And the first thing I'd like us to uh, grab hold of is that in apocalyptic literature, there's often a set of twos, right? You got two women, you have two cities, right? Two marks. And over and over, what John does as he wrote this apocalyptic literature is he's driving a wedge keeping it very simple, you and I have one simple choice. Are we going to choose for God or are we going to choose for the world? Are we going to choose against God or are we going to choose for the ways of God? So this morning, my first point is this, two kinds of people, those who repent and those who refuse to repent. Those who repent and recognize that they are sinners and those who refuse to repent. So let's go back into our story, and we see ourselves here. Let me highlight a couple things in this passage so that we can see this together. As we see that John writes, I saw another angel. So we got these angels. They're flying, this angel's flying directly overhead, probably in the heavenlies in what we would call just our space above the earth. And this angel has an eternal gospel but look what he says with a loud voice. He's calling out, fear God 
Give him glory. Why? Because the hour of his judgment has come. Now, over and over, we see in the New Testament is that there's an hour that's going to come. There's a time that's coming when Jesus Christ, our King, our God, is coming back to this earth as king and in judge, as judge, as king ruling and as judge. He's going to set everything right. So this hour of his judgment. So right away we know as we read this passage, we're talking about messages of judgment. And we got three angels. We just read the passage. We saw that they are three angels announcing these different elements of judgment that are, are taking place, right? So as we think about this, the first thing we need to see is that there's an eternal gospel. Now, some people want to say that the eternal gospel in this passage is really described right here, fear God and give Him glory. I don't think that's a good interpretation. I don't think it's a good understanding of the passage. I don't think it grabs hold of the use of the word gospel up here in verse 6 the way it's used throughout the entire New Testament. Over and over, it's talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's good news is because there's bad news. The bad news is that we have rebelled against God. We have stood in opposition to God, all of us, myself included, and this eternal gospel is good news because there's hope. And the reason why it's a message of judgment is because people are resisting this message of the gospel. They're resisting and turning away from the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news being very simply that Jesus died on the cross to pay for the penalty of sin. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He ascended into the heavens and he sat down at the right hand of God. That is the good news that the world needs to hear. And many, many people want none of it. But as you and I are faithful to telling the story of Jesus, we're consistent with this eternal gospel. Then in light of that, notice it's going to every nation and tribe and tongue. And then with this, there's this idea to fear God. That's the consequence. When you hear this eternal gospel, we should be bowing our hearts. We should be bending our knee. We should be yielding to Jesus as the king. We should fear him and give him glory. And the reason is because there's coming a time when there will be more, no more opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ. That's why Fox Valley Church is so passionate about telling the story of Jesus Christ. Well, a second angel followed, right? We see that here. And it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Now, remember over and over, I've said apocalyptic literature is filled of imagery and symbols. So that you and I, our imaginations would be kindled and we'd get these vibrant, alive pictures so that we wouldn't forget what's going to happen. And here this angel is calling out, fallen, fallen is this Babylon. Well, of course, that's coming out of Daniel because that's where we find it. Daniel chapter 4, verse 8, is that Babylon has fallen. Well, Babylon back then was a superpower. Babylon stood opposed to God and everything that God was doing. And so it's no surprise that John 
is using this and that this image is coming out. Now, just because I use this idea that so much of the apocalypse is symbolic, figurative, it doesn't mean that it's not real. Don't make the mistake. Just because God speaks to us in pictures, in images, in figures, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's real. It is going to happen. So the second angel is announcing this. Well, when he announced it, when John wrote this in the first century, Babylon was all but a backwater town. So what is he doing? He's using the imagery of Babylon to stand in the place of everything. And the Old Testament over and over talks about Babylon being defeated. That is a picture of everything that stands in opposition to God. And there is so much in our world that stands in opposition to the true and living God, and God is saying it is falling. That's the judgment. This world, you can hold on to it if you want, but you need to know if you hold on to this world, you're going down with the world, right? That, that's just the line that he's drawing in the sand with describing the, the second angel. So then we get to the third angel, and the third angel is bringing us to a, yet another place. Let me bring us into that, right? He says another angel, a third angel. We're, we're here in, in verse 9 followed them, sang with a, vo a, a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast. Now we read about the beast, right? The beast of the sea this is talking about because he's talking about the Antichrist and its image and receives the mark on his forehead. Remember, we have the mark. I said this apocalypse is constantly drawing a division between two things, two women, two cities, two marks. Christians have the mark or seal of the Spirit. A mark is ownership. Remember, we talked about that. I don't want to get too tied into all this. But look what happens. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath. It's a message of judgment. There's coming a day when God is saying, I've had enough. And Jesus is returning as King. And look how he describes it. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger. That is an amazing thing. Now, what is he using here? He's using a picture, and you are familiar with this. You ever go to a place and uh, they're trying to make the liquor go a little further? What do they do? They cut it. They, they, they put a little water in there. They make the beer from 4 or 5%, and they throw a little water in there, and all of a sudden it's 2% or 3%, right? We look at alcohol like whiskey or bourbons and, and, and you can begin to distill it to different levels. Well, what it's saying here is that God's wrath is going to be pulled out, poured out at full strength. There's going to be no cutting of this. God is a holy, righteous God. And it says that he, the devil and all that follow him will be tormented with fire. These are pictures of people that are going to experience now being separated from God forever. That's why we tell the gospel. That's why we tell the good news. Because you and I do not want our loved ones to miss out on the beauty of knowing God through Jesus Christ. And that they have the opportunity to spend eternity with God. Well, let's just keep going a little bit more. 
They have no rest day or night. You get the sense of what's going on. These worshipers of the beast and its image, whoever receives the mark of its name, look what he says, that they will be in this suffering. But here is a call for the endurance of the saints. That's you and me. Remember I told you, the, God, or the apocalypse, the book of Revelation was written to people like you and me. We live in a world that stands in opposition to God. And so here's the call that he makes for endurance, for perseverance, people to stay the course as all this happens. Right? So let's bring back our picture. Remember we talked about this. We said that there was an unholy trinity. There's the devil and he is at work and he's going to align himself with the Antichrist. These are all the end of end times. And then there will be a false prophet. Remember the false prophet is constantly pointing towards the Antichrist. All of this is orchestrated and motivated and moved, animated by the devil himself. But remember what I also told you, is that the New Testament is constantly talking about Antichrist and false prophets. And so when John wrote this, and he's talking about Babylon, certainly Rome was the new Babylon. And that's why I wrote some big spirals, and I made them dark, is that there's times when it looks like, is this the end of the end? People fought this when Hitler was rising and it looked like he was conquering Europe and it was moving towards the whole world. And people were like, is he the Antichrist? Is this the end? And people were just getting worked up. And I think those were some dark lines. All I'm telling you is eventually, because the world moves with purpose, it's, it's moving from, from the beginning, it's moving, it's moving with purpose to God's desire to end that his people would spend eternity with him. But when we get to the end, this is going to be a big working spiral of the holy, unholy trinity that is mocking the, the true trinity. The true trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So as we go into this and we see this idea of, of enduring. Let me just bring us back into this, right? Remember, he calls, John is calling through the apocalyptic literature for people, for people to endure. So here it was, June 7th, 2020, one year ago, Bindi and Condi sitting in their living room, the phone rings, an anonymous caller. Condi, you're dead tonight. The last words before these Hindu men stormed the house at 8 p.m. that Kandi spoke to Bindi was this. If God is willing to take away my life, it is His will. If God wants to save me, He will save me. No matter what happens to me, you should not give up your faith in Jesus. In difficulties, you must continue to follow Jesus. Our Lord is able to provide for you, even if my life is taken. So who is it that perseveres? Who is it that endures? So after they stormed the house, they dragged Condi out of the house, beat his body, slit his throat, 
and they found him in the ditch the next day. The Bible tells us who endures. Those right here who keep the commandments of God. They guard the Word of God. It's important to them. They stay focused on it and they keep their faith in Jesus. Those are the ones who endure. So let me ask you, what will it take to knock you out of the race? The death of your spouse? The loss of a job? The loss of money? Your kids going wayward? Your grandkids going wayward? People attacking you? People slandering you? What will it take? Fox Valley Church, we recognize we want people to endure. And the only way to endure is to surrender everything to Jesus Christ. A heart attitude of surrender. Over and over we call it just living palms up. A daily practice. Isn't that exactly what Condi said after they got that anonymous phone call? If God is willing, He'll take away my life. That's surrender. If God wants to save me, He'll save me. That's surrender. No matter what happens to me, you should not give up your faith. It sounds like you just read Revelation chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. That's what you and I have to do. We have to persevere with a heart of surrender. That we are not going to let the government, we're not going to let this world, we're not even going to let our own flesh with all the addictions and all the strongholds knock us out of this race. But we have got to move on because we need to see a little bit more of what happens in the book of Revelation. Look with me at verses 14 to 20. Now comes the judgment. This is my second point. First we get announcements of judgment. Two kinds of people. The first is the one who repents or lives in a heart of surrender and those who do not. And then comes the judgment. Then I looked, verse 14, and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come. There's coming a day for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Verse 17, then another angel came, and out of the, and out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vines. I need to get you all in here. I left you hanging here. Let's get here. He goes on, and I'm sorry. Here. From the vines, 
And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung, swung the sickle on the earth and gathered the grapes, grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. What a powerful, powerful picture. Let me just make a few more comments about this. First of all, we see two harvests. Now, some people see this as one harvest. I see this as two harvests. The first one is a grain harvest. It says the, the first one comes, one like a cloud like a son of man. Of course, that's taken right out of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. This is Jesus Christ riding on a cloud. Remember when he was on trial? This was the vision of this son of man coming like on a cloud. He's coming with purity. He's coming with uh, wisdom. He's coming with victory. That's what the picture is happening here when it talks about this white cloud. He's got his sickle. And he's calling out, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour of reaping has come. The harvest of the earth is fully ripe. All those who have responded to Jesus Christ now have. This is an exact story of what Jesus told, isn't it? Jesus told the story in Matthew chapter 13. He said there was this rich landowner, and he sent his servants out into the field, and they planted grain. And then Jesus said, after the workers planted good seed in the ground, someone, an enemy, came in and started throwing some seeds of weeds into the field. And so what happened? All of a sudden, there were wheat and weeds growing up together. That's exactly what's happening in the world today. The wheat, or God's people, the weeds are those opposed to God. And John, in this apocalyptic vision, is just recasting the story of what Jesus did. And listen carefully to what Jesus said was going to happen. He says in Matthew, he says this, Should we tear out the wheat and weeds? No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them. So I think this first reaping is just a picture of Matthew 13 and put them in the bundles to be burned. And then look what he says, but then gather the wheat into my barn. And so, of course, that's exactly what we begin to see happening. That barn is the new heavens and the new earth that God is gathering up, all these things. So we see these, these two things going on. And then I want to bring you back again, just real briefly, to this whole picture of the fury of God's wrath. Do not underestimate it. It says the great winepress of the wrath of God. If you've ever seen a winepress, these big vats, and they just torque down and crush the grapes and all the juices coming out. That's the picture of what's happening here in Revelation. Well, after the judgment, let's just push into Revelation 15, just real, real briefly here. 
as we wrap up. Then I saw another angel in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what happened, I saw what appeared to be the sea glass mingled with fire, and those who conquered the beast and its image, notice the beast is now gone, and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And here's what they were worshiping. Remember, harps are a picture of worship. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, Lamb Jesus Christ. Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you before your righteous acts have been revealed. So here's my third point. This king, Jesus, rules and reigns over this whole world. Powerful, powerful story. And I just wanted to end with that picture. I just wanted us to have a clear picture of what God is doing. Now let me just real briefly answer a couple questions that people have been texting me or emailing me. Some people say, well, Pastor Tom, do you hold to replacement theology? Now those that are not inclined, replacement theology says that the New Testament completely replaces the Old Testament. That is, Israel is now replaced by the saints of the church. I do not hold to replacement theology. I think it's better to see a little bit of distinction between the Old Testament and New Testament, even though both of them hold together as one book and should be read as one story from Genesis to Revelation. So I don't hold to this. Some people ask me this. They said, Tom, do you believe in the rapture? Well, of course I believe in the rapture. It says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. But what I don't hold to is that these are all these separate events. I think what's happening is a description that when Jesus returns, he grabs up his people. And I don't like to be pushed into a tight schematic scheme where everything you read in the Bible has to be forced into a scheme. I think the Bible is bigger than that. And I think the pictures are bolder and, and grander than that. Let me hit one last question that I've been hit uh, with. And that is, Pastor Tom, do you hold to a millennium? Are you pre-mill? And I say, absolutely, absolutely pre-mill. What I don't hold to is that the millennium has to be a thousand years. Jesus is returning to this earth as king and as judge. Now, why is it important? Pre-mill says that he's returning to this earth. It's a very important part of this view because Bindi... Her mother was raped after she became a Christian. Who's going to vindicate Bindi's mother? Condi was killed. Who's going to vindicate the murder of a Christ follower? People in our own church have been abused. They've been taken advantage of. They've been oppressed. And what Jesus is promising to you and to me is that no matter what atrocity happens, no matter who lied to you, no matter who betrayed you, no matter who oppressed you, he is coming back. And it's important that he comes to this earth because this earth is where it happened. And he's going to vindicate all the wrong that has happened to you. And we need to celebrate that. With that said, I want to encourage you, over and over you've heard me say, we need to dwell in Scripture. We need to dwell 
And in Fox Valley Church, you know one of our values is the preeminence of God's Word. I want to invite you to join me in reading the Bible. One of the great things about this is that you're reading it with the people of Fox Valley Church and you can comment. You can comment on what God is teaching you. You can comment and learn from what others are doing. So right now, that little scan thing on there on the screen, QR code, you could scan it right now. If you're not signed up for this Bible app reading plan, I want to encourage you to do it. One chapter a day. We rotate a little bit between the Old Testament and New Testament. A few days in the Old, a few days in the New. But if you scan that right now and get that on your phone, you can get registered because the new plan starts tomorrow. And I want you to join us in reading this. It's just dwelling in Scripture, reading it together. It's a powerful, powerful work of God for all of us in Fox Valley Church so that He can continue to build us so that we can endure and live in a posture of surrender.